Turn in your Bibles to again to the book of Revelation. Revelation 3, verses 17 through or 7 through 13. The Lord's willing, we will uh, end our study on the churches today. If we have service tonight, we'll focus on the last of the seven churches, the Jesus message to the church of Laodicea. Today, though, this morning, excuse me, we are focusing on the sixth message to the Church of Philadelphia. Now, don't think cheesesteaks and the Liberty Bell. Is the Liberty Bell still in Philadelphia? When you think, yes. But it still does mean brotherly love. And that is, we'll find out more about that. Nothing to do with Quakers or anything like that this morning, but this is an important city. It is the only other city that Jesus does not have a rebuke for in his messages. There is no rebuke here. There is only encouragement for a small ministry that is holding the line. They feel that they have little power. We're going to see this morning a little power goes a long way when Christ is working in their midst. And Jesus describes himself in verse 7 as the holy and true one who controls. He said it, has, it says, who has the key of David, and that means he holds the control, the keys, the entryway, the keys to the entryway to God's eternal kingdom. He will be the one that will sit on David's throne, and there, obviously, it's appropriate for him to have the keys to the kingdom as the king. And he is the one, the only one, who gives access. He alone has the authority to allow entry. No one else can do so. No one will shut. And, um, we'll see more of that in just a minute. And he knows. He knows those are actual citizens of God's kingdom. He's fully aware. He's aware, as we've seen in these other messages, of their failures. But in this case, he's aware of their afflictions and their sacrifices. He knows what they're going through. Again, unique characteristic in this church. The only other church was Smyrna. And Jesus has no rebuke for them. They may not have much power on earth, but they have the glories of the kingdom fully secured for their eternal future. And sometimes even the faithful, folks, don't we sometimes need assurance that Jesus is still with us, that he's committed to us? Even the most faithful servant, I think of John the Baptist, right? David and many others, they needed that assurance because things get hard. People get difficult. Circumstances grow more and more trying. And in our weakness, we can sometimes doubt, Jesus, are you really there? Are you still with me? And this passage addresses our lacking assurance of Jesus' commitment to his faithful servants. He will make clear he is committed to us because we are committed to him. He will be with us. And that's what this little church needs to hear, that a little power goes a long way when they have Christ in their lives. 
Let's read verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says in the churches. Father, thank you for this message that Jesus gave that was, I'm sure, such encouragement and gave hope to this little church who felt their smallness, who felt they had little power, and yet were committedly, faithfully serving you. Lord, I understand that I speak this morning to a small group, a little church, who desires to serve you. Many faithful, committed servants here, and we're so thankful for that. But Father, we can get weary. We can wonder sometimes if you're really there. Jesus is really with us and strengthening us. Let us be encouraged today that he is always there and that he will bring us home and we will enjoy his presence in your kingdom forever. That is the promise for those who truly are your children who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Let's be encouraged today at this reminder of Jesus' presence and his commitment to us. We may serve you even more faithfully, for it's in his name we pray. A little power goes a long way. Jesus refers to himself as the Holy One, the True One. First of all, we see in verses 7 through 9, the Holy One provides for faithful servants. He provides access to his kingdom. Um, this city of Philadelphia that Jesus has this message for wasn't located in Pennsylvania, obviously. So this city was located some 25 miles east of Sardis, city we talked about last week. And it was in a rich valley, in a river called the Cogamus River. The valley was very fertile, farmland, many vineyards, and some other things as well. They attempted some corn crops, especially when they were under command to do so by the emperor. We'll talk about that in a minute. It was the um, youngest, if I can put it that way, of the seven cities. It was founded less than 200 years before Christ, 189 B.C., by a Pergamenian king, one that came from the region, maybe the city of Pergamum, and he named it in honor of his brother. And so the meaning of Philadelphia means brotherly love. 
It was situated on an important road. And that road allowed access to the hills and the valley and over the years became a very vital trade and communication route. You remember, um, there was another church that we addressed recently that was not secure, that had trouble um, securing its walls in, in its city. But this was not the case with Philadelphia. It was secure, and it was easily defendable because of its location. Because of its access um, to through this, through this important highway, to all of the other cities, it became a um, a center, an area that was focused on consolidating, unifying, and also educating the entire region, especially teaching them in the Greek language was an important aspect of the life of Philadelphia, teaching folks the traditions of the area and important customs of the area. So it was known as a place to educate people about their culture and help them to grow in that. Cosmopolitan, maybe you might call it. Well, that all sounds good. But there were some aspects to this town that was frightening and negative. One was that it lay near where volcanoes were still very active. And earthquakes were frequent. If you remember, we talked about an earthquake that almost destroyed Sardis. Philadelphia also suffered damage from that in AD 17. And um, so when the Roman Emperor Tiberius extended financial aid to Sardis, he also extended it to Philadelphia. And in gratitude, they put up a public monument for the emperor and even changed the name of the town temporarily to honor the emperor. Um, they were very thankful, obviously for uh, his intervention and were and, and honored the empire the roman empire for many many years were grateful until later on and probably about this time that uh, this letter from jesus that john is writing would be sent to the people the church of philadelphia there was an emperor named uh, domitian remember he was the one that brought great persecution upon uh, christianity well, he also frustrated a new number of people in this area. There was a severe famine going on, and he ordered that all of the vineyards in the empire, or half, excuse me, not all of them, but half of the vineyards in the whole empire be cut down and made room for corn crops so that more food could be developed. Well, Philadelphia, one of their main sources of income and their wealth was their vineyards. And corn didn't grow nearly as well. They weren't used to doing that, but they had to do it. Well, after that, they weren't so excited and happy about the Roman Empire any longer. They were frustrated with that because it had brought negative financial aspects to uh, Philadelphia in particular. They soured against the empire. And so Jesus' message to them really in one aspect is a reminder that earthly rulers are going to fail us. But Jesus will never fail us. And he makes that clear. The holy, the true one, will not. Verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? The words of the holy one, the true one, the holy one, is, you've got, is pointing out that Jesus is God. The holiness of God resides as a characteristic of Jesus Christ. 
that he is separate from all creation, that he is pure, that he is holy. And one like that can surely be dependent upon to do what's right and to make wise choices. Roman emperors, eh, not always. Sometimes they make good choices. Sometimes they make really frustrating choices. I think we can kind of uh, understand that in our culture today, with our rulers today. Sometimes we feel like most of their choices aren't very good right now. But they do make some wise choices as well. But Jesus will always do the right thing. Because not only is he the Holy One, but he is the true one. He is also the truth by which, and this refers to that he is the truth. He is the standard of truth that all the truth is measured by. That's why he's given us his word as his witness. As we're going to see tonight, he's also the faithful and true witness. And that's why we measure all truth by God's word testimony of Jesus Christ because he is the true one he is true and thus we can depend upon everything that Jesus communicates to us and if what he says to this church they can depend that his knowledge of their situation is true and that he will provide for them as well he is fully dependable and we can trust his commitment to us even when things get really hard Remember, we serve the faithful one, the true one. And he also is the door, the only entryway. He holds the keys to his kingdom, the key of David. We've been talking a lot about David in Sunday school. This Jesus is the one who is standing before John in all of his glory. That is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And he will sit on the throne of David and rule David's kingdom over the whole world throughout the millennial kingdom. He has access to be a citizen of this kingdom, which I hope is something that we all look forward to. We are, actually, even now, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have to seek entryway through him alone. This is just another point in Scripture, that it's only through Jesus. He's the only one that has the key to the entryway to the kingdom. Those who reject him will be shut out. He says, who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one opens. He opens the door to the true children of God. He shuts the door on those that have rejected him. A sobering reality, but a glorious truth for God's people. And thus, folks, he is fully dependable and reliable. We can fully depend upon the true and the faithful one. Well, he also provides access to his presence. And verse 8 and 9 show us that. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And you imagine, you think about this, the very fact that Jesus knows the works that recognizes this small ministry feels probably like they're ignored and what they do doesn't matter much. They have a little power. The very fact that Jesus recognizes them in the midst of these other churches, and as we're going to find, has no message of condemnation, certainly had to be encouraging for them, provided great encouragement for them. Jesus knew their works. 
It's an interesting description, the next interesting phrase that comes next after that. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Well, hasn't he just said that? Is he talking about the kingdom again? Well, we already know that. Why would he repeat that? Well, there's really no need, although Jesus can do what he wants with, with his words. Um, it's not that he's repeating what he's just said, but he's pointing out something else of great importance to these people. And that is that he is in sovereign control as the one that opens and closes the door of all of the opportunities that we have for ministry service. I am thankful to other men in my life that have helped me in my study and in seminary. One of those was Pastor Gary Reimers. And he pointed out one time that this can be translated, this phrase, as, Behold, I have given you the permanent gift of a door having been opened. And Jesus is pointing out here that all of the service and works that these people are able to do is because of him. We need that reminder, folks, that all of the good that we do and all of the success that God gives, God does give it to us. It's all through Christ. It's nothing that we do on our own. And Jesus is reminding these folks, I know you feel like you have a little power, but it's my power anyway. It's I'm doing all of this. And I'm the one that has opened you, and I have a permanent open door for you because of your faithfulness to have opportunities to serve me, and also fellowship that man cannot hinder. All the persecution and, and the difficulties that Christians go through even today, isn't it wonderful to know that no human being can keep us from fellowship with our Savior, Jesus Christ? That is an open door that we can always enjoy. And no one can keep us from the ministry opportunities that he has given to us. If God, if Jesus gives us those ministry opportunities, that door is open, no one can shut it. He's going to see that we, um, it, uh, that we complete all that he has given us to do. And so they don't need to be worried about that as well. He is the one that enables our committed service. He empowers that. And no one can keep us back from what he's called us to do. What a marvelous encouragement in these words. He says, I know you have a little power, but you've been faithful. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. They're weak in the eyes of the world, but they are precious to Christ. A little ministry that's precious in his eyes. Their faithfulness and commitment. Small in strength, but great in devotion. Folks, that ought to be a, a description that any of us would love to have. Really, even as individuals, we're small in strength. But Jesus can enable us to serve him as we're devoted and relying on him. He does it all. So it doesn't matter if we're small. Jesus does the work. So don't be, um, don't be uh, detoured by the size of our ministry or uh, your, your personal inadequacies. All that is done is through Jesus Christ anyways, folks. Just rely on him, continue to be devoted to him. He knows and he will empower. In verse 9, he continues this, this important point. 
seems there was a Jewish presence in Philadelphia, as were most of these cities. And unfortunately, again, they were antagonistic to believers. And in their synagogue, many of these believers were probably uh, Jews, and they would have been barred from worshiping in that synagogue because of the fact that they were believers as part of that persecution. And remember as well, these Jewish antagonists, who did they consider themselves to be? That they were the legitimate people of God as a Jewish people. And that these others were usurpers. I mean, you know, even Paul thought that early on in, in his career. And Jesus had to confront him with the truth that he was totally wrong in that. But they thought that they were the people of God. These Christians were fakes, were hypocrites. But in fact, Jesus says here that in fact, these folks that think they're the people, the followers, the true followers of God, because they have set themselves against believers, against Christians, they themselves are aligned against God and they're aligned with God's enemy. Now that's something that they had never considered. Well, remember Jesus, though, had said that. They accused him of following after Beelzebub, of being um, sent by the opponent. And Jesus made it clear that they were the ones who were following after Satan. And that is described here as well. Verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Again, they thought they were the followers of God. No, they're actually followers of God's enemy, who say that they are Jews, and they can probably back it up with their lineage and their physical descendants and all of this, but Jesus says it's all a lie. Why? How could that be? They've got the charts. They've got the lists. Because they've rejected the Savior. <clears throat> and therefore, they've deceived themselves. They're living a lie. And then this miraculous, amazing statement. Don't miss this. Behold, I will make them come. And bow down before your feet. They will learn that I have loved you. They're not God's people at all. But one day Jesus will reveal and exalt those who are truly his own. Do you remember uh, Floyd just read from Philippians chapter 2 and the worship that Jesus deserves and that he will receive one day before all. And folks, do you realize that Jesus is saying here that somehow we will share in that. I want to be clear here. I don't believe he's saying, of course, that these people will worship us. That's not, that would go against what God's word says. But somehow, in some form or fashion, Jesus will exalt us as his followers. Those that seem inconsequential and of such weak and little power that the world overlooked or persecuted or ran over or whatever on their course to pursue power and their own wealth and all these things, God will one day raise these people up to sit with Jesus, we'll see tonight, on thrones, to share in his authority. And we will not be worshipped, but we will be exalted for being faithful. He will exalt those who are truly his own, and the others will learn who are truly God's people who Jesus loves, and they will, they, they will um, regret that they did not choose Jesus. They will stand there full of regret that they rejected him as we are exalted. What does that tell us? Well, we may be in the minority now, folks, and we feel that. But don't worry. 
Jesus returns, everything will be made right again. And those that are faithful followers of Jesus, who have held fast to his name, we will get the recognition, well, that Jesus deserves, but he will share that in some form or fashion with us. Marvelous thought. Don't get discouraged. A wonderful time of recognition for our faithfulness is coming. But we must make sure then, with that reminder of Jesus' faithfulness in our lives, that we're every day depending and relying on him. When we get discouraged and we go a day without relying on him and his word, we're not accessing his power and his, um, his presence in the way that we could. Reminds me of a recent experience that I had. Our, our neighbor, we've mentioned him before, Lee, lives in our back, um, in, in what used to be a garage, and he lives in our backyard now, and, you know, we've been trying to witness to him, and we have regular action with him, interaction with him. Well, last winter, um, he noticed that I was having some trouble cleaning um, the cars, and you know what, uh, just a coil that can be at times, especially with the van, where you have trying to reach above and get all that snow in between those cracks and, and the rails and things, and it just, oh, it just gets old after a while and he came one morning and he had a gift for me and it was this extendable flat um, it had, on a pole and it had a flat end with this not styrofoam but this material that was almost like a combination of, of rubber and plastic and it was called a snow joe i don't think you've seen these uh, well it was a marvelous tool that helped me very quickly clear off the snow off of my van and car, and it worked great. And he said, you're going to love this. And I did. But that was, when he gave it to me, it was toward the end of winter. So I had to put it up, and for whatever reason, I put it in the shed, and kind of in the back of the shed, in an area where I have to be honest, I just forgot. It. <laughs> and this winter came along, and, you know, we haven't had as much snow as what we normally expect, and but the first couple of snows we had, even last the end of last year, I'm thinking, man, I really could use that. I don't know where it is. So um, on, a, on a on a warmer day, I was trying to clean out the shed uh, in in the back of our property there, and sure enough, as I was cleaning stuff out, I came across this snow joe again. It's so great! And this last weekend, I was able to use that thing, and I was commenting to Leslie, "Man, it just works so great!" And I'm done in a few minutes, and this is wonderful. I would have loved to have been able to have um, used and appreciated, experienced uh, the ability to use this on a regular basis, but I lost access to it. It made my life easier, except I couldn't access it. I neglected it. Well, in a much more significant way, Jesus says, don't neglect my word, my presence in your life, but remember on a daily basis that I am there to help you. Don't neglect me. Remember, you can fully depend and rely on me every day. You have access to my presence. So don't, don't be discouraged and don't forget that an all-important truth that we must ask and access Jesus every day through his word and through prayer. Well, the Holy One certainly provides for his faithful servants, but also protects his faithful servants. And the most wonderful protection of all is that he keeps them from his impending judgment that is coming. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, 
I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Jesus has further good news for this little church, this faithful minority, and they are going to be removed, and he describes here, from an awful future time of great trouble. He says here that it is a great hour of trial. And we're going to find very soon in our study of Revelation about um, a time period that's called the Great Tribulation in the end times. It will be a terrible 70-year time of judgment upon the world for their rejection of Christ. Now, some look at this, some interpreters, remember I told you there's a lot of different interpretations, unfortunately, of the book of Revelation. One of those is in a general sense of post-trib interpretation that looks at this text and others, and what it sees here as it reads, I will keep you from the hour of trial, that it really says that I will keep you from trials in the midst of the great tribulation. In other words, they interpret that in the future, this great time of trouble and judgment, that believers will have to go through that. And this is one of the ways that they interpret that. Well, there's a problem with that. Really, the Greek, to be fully accurate, that word, um, I will keep you from, that word from, more accurately has the meaning of out from. I will take you out from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. You think about this. How else would it be encouraging for these that are already going through much suffering and tribulation to hear, now, you're going to have to go through even a more intense, awful time of judgment where I'm going to judge the whole world, but you're going to, you're going to get through. I'll make sure you, you get through. But you're still going to experience the troubles and difficulties in this greater time of tribulation and judgment that God's sending on the world. So be encouraged. I'm sorry, folks, that doesn't sound very encouraging. And I'm sure that wouldn't have been very encouraging to these folks. They're going through difficulties right now. And the encouragement is, is that there's a future tribulation and time of judgment that they're not going to have to go through. Jesus is going to take them out of that tribulation because they have been faithful and they have relied on him and been committed to him that more accurately and better fits this whole situation. Jesus is clearly stating that these faithful are not going to have to go through that awful great tribulation. He's going to protect them from, he's going to take them out of it before it happens. What a wonderful truth that is. And remember, he says, I am coming soon. It could happen at any time, folks. And I know that you would agree with me that I would much rather be of that special honored group that gets to be raptured and taken from the tribulation. Now, those that have passed on will go before us, Brother Reed, my dad, and many others. They will be brought up first and meet Jesus in the air, and then soon after that, we'll meet them. Well, you know, I can wait for them to go first. I'm glad to do that. <laughs> It'll be good to see Reed in his, in his new body. And, and with full of energy and all those things in my dad and to be able to meet them with Jesus. What a wonderful time that's going to be. But what a glorious thing to realize we're not going to have to go through. Those that persevere also as well will not have to go through the tribulation. 
and they will receive a victorious crown. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have. Stay true, committed, and faithful. And by the way, Jesus is saying, you do your best to hold fast. Do the best that you can, and I'll come. And Somebody told me the other day they felt like they were in a situation when they were literally, you remember the children on the playground, how you'd be hanging out with monkey bars and you're trying to get across, uh, and all of a sudden you realize how high you are up and, you know, how kind of treacherous, uh, instable you are hanging on to that, and you start to kind of panic. And you're hanging out as much as you can, but after a while, you start to lose your grip. And this person says, I just feel like I'm about ready to lose my grip. I'm about to fall. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. You know, tie it out on and hold, hold on a little longer or just hang on tight. I'm coming. Don't, don't fall. Jesus is saying in the context of all this, I will enable you to hold fast. I will enable you to hang on. You don't have to depend, rely on your own strength, so that no one may seize your crown, the crown of life. There were still those who seemingly thought that they were believers, but it wasn't a true confession. And sooner or later, through the trials of life, they would reject, and they would leave the church, and they would leave faithful service to Christ. Jesus says, you don't be those folks. Make you hold fast, and I will enable you to hold fast till the end. You will receive a crown of victory. Why? Because Jesus was victorious. In his death and resurrection, he conquered the grave. He conquered sin. He provided us a way to be victorious. And he will return, and we will celebrate that victory with him. And therefore, we can be described then as the one who conquers. Verse 12. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And he continues on with that description. You know, it's interesting. Remember I told you about those earthquakes that the residents of Philadelphia had experienced? It seems they didn't experience those quite to the same level of intensity that the city of Sardis did. But it was still scared a lot of people. And these folks, after that initial earthquake in AD 17, were petrified and terrified that it was going to happen again because they were actually closer to the epicenter of the earthquakes than even Sardis was. And they were constantly in fear that disaster was going to come upon this city. And I think another, again, parallel, another comfort for these people living in this city is they knew one day they would live in a city that could never be harmed. Where there would be no earthquakes, where there would be no uncertainty, but that Jesus promises relief from disaster in a city that will never be destroyed, folks. Nobody will be able to topple it. No disaster will be able to bring destruction to it. And I'm sure that encourages these folks. And then Jesus says, and you will be a stable, permanent, you will have a permanent place in this kingdom. And he refers to them as pillars in the temple of my God. And then that he would write his name on these pillars. Well, that's an interesting picture. Jesus is promising really in this picture stability and permanence within his kingdom for his people. Now, we should, it shouldn't be too hard to understand this. Don't we use this phrase many times when we see certain people in communities that are stable in contributing to society, and we say what? They are pillars in their community. They are reliable. They are bringing stability. 
and permanence to that society. And Jesus is describing that in a much more significant way that we as his people will be pillars in his community that will stand after the entire world has been destroyed. The pillars of God in his temple, his eternal temple, will stand forever. And don't you think that in a city anxious about instability, that this would be welcome insight to that small church within, that God would give them full stability and security and permanence. They'll be permanent citizens, and Jesus will write his name on them. And what does that do? That identifies them as his own. Um, I have my senior pastor in Maryland, Pastor Bob Connick, had a wonderful library that he let me uh, use resources from uh, many times. He's very patient in that respect because I was still building my library. And he had a wonderful selection of commentaries. And I was doing a series on Philippians for our young people. And I wanted to borrow one of his commentaries. And I was using it for a particularly longer time because I was working my way carefully through that series. Um, and I guess I used it to the point where he looked at, he was looking for it and thought, well, I must have lost it. And he purchased a new one and then realized, I, and then when I brought it back in after I was done with it, he saw it and he said, well, I wonder where that went to. And he went ahead and, and gave that to me. And I appreciated that. Well, he had a stamp that he stamped all of his commentaries on the side. So everybody knew property of Bob Condick. So if they borrowed it, they would make sure they'd always be reminded, this isn't yours. Please give it back. Well, on this particular commentary, he had forgotten to do that. So it was kind on a multiple level. First of all, I didn't have that reminder that it was his. But second of all, once he gave that to me, then it became mine, and I had no reminder that it was his. And so it was kind of a nice benefit. But we understand, folks, that those things that we value, we stamp with our name so people know that we own that. Well, what a beautiful picture that Jesus values us and stamps us with his name. I own these people. They are mine for all eternity. And we receive the name of ownership by God. Let's look at verse 12 again. Write on, I will write on him the name of my God and also the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. Making clear that we have a right of citizenship in his kingdom. And if that wasn't enough. Jesus will also write his own new name. That means the name of Jesus in the full sense. And we'll see the full picture of him as Savior, as resurrected Savior, as King. And He, we will have his name in the full sense on us. Describes the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. Uh, later on in the book, we'll see more about what that is. But that is the new city created by God that Jesus will rule and reign in. Interesting, another illustration that these people surely would have had in mind. You know, archaeologists have found in western Turkey, in this basic um, area, the same region, ancient pillars of temples, false gods, and on these temples were inscribed, on these pillars, excuse me for the temples, the names of the priests, still etched on them, that served underneath in these temples underneath these false gods as a lasting tribute, unfortunately, to the servants of that false god. 
here these people surely would have had this picture that we will be etched, our names will be etched on the pillars of the permanent, eternal, everlasting temple of our God. The true God, never to be erased, never to be lost throughout the stand, throughout the flow of time, but a lasting tribute to the servants of the king. Wonderful picture. Finally, verse 13, again, we've heard this many times. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus gave seven promises, seven promises to this little church, more than any other. And the Spirit here affirms these are reliable and available for those who will hear, understand, and remain faithful. Hear my words, the Spirit says. All these promises, Church of Little Power of Philadelphia, are for you and for all of those who will remain faithful. Other thing, point about history that's interesting about this church is that the, the church did remain faithful, and it has such an impact eventually in church history that, we, uh, that we're aware of that Philadelphia actually became a Christian city, this very city at some point. Later on, in 7th century A.D., when uh, the prophet Muhammad and uh, the, the followers of, of him, the Muslim onslaught, onslaught came to this region, all of the other, or most of the other churches, all capitulated to that and gave in. But interestingly, folks, this city of Philadelphia held on and was faithful and committed to Christ and would not fall pressure, even under intense persecution, for what the Muslims asked them to do. They were, for centuries later, a shining testimony of what one small church can accomplish. God can use them to literally enlighten a whole city to stand for Christ. Amazing. That's, that's reality. It's actually in history that it happened. God the words of Jesus, these folks depended upon, they relied upon, and said, we believe those. Jesus did a mighty work through them. Well, that's the church of Philadelphia. What do we, as a small church, can we learn from this today? Don't we feel many times that, as a small church, we're in kind of a minority, midst of our counter-biblical culture? And in a general sense, haven't believers always felt out of place and kind of weak with little power in the in the depths of, of the corrupt world system? We don't feel like we count for very much as God's people. Well, Jesus' message is for us too. Commit to persevere. Continue to serve faithfully with the knowledge that one day, remember, Jesus will return. And he will share in his exaltation with his people. Amazing. But he will do that, folks. And he will, not to fulfill our pride and arrogance, but in a very humbling way, exalt us as his followers, that we stay faithful to him. Even though we were small, we thought we had little power. But we had all the power we needed. He will have the final word, and he will recognize us with his love. And all of those who have rejected around him, he will say, these have I loved, and these I honor for staying faithful to me. Don't you think that's worth it to persevere? It is. 
keep that picture in mind as we as small church continue to minister faithfully. A little power does go a long way. And Jesus can use us to serve him, to make a dent, make an impact in this community today. Father, thank you for this beautiful picture, this encouraging remarks for this little church that had gone through so much and felt so insignificant, and yet you reminded them that one day you would honor them as your beloved before all. Jesus, we look forward to that day. We grieve and we struggle with wickedness and evil and demeaning comments and rejection of you, and it reflects on us, and we struggle with that. But let us remember it will all be worth it one day, and you will recognize our faithful, committed service to you. The whole world will recognize that. As you say, these are the ones that I love. We look forward to that day, Lord. We look forward to hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Help us to be committed and faithful till that takes place. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.